Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Father God, Daddy God, we welcome you. Love of God, come. Kingdom of heaven, come right now. Angels of God, we welcome you. Hallelujah. 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 Just lift up the name of Jesus. Just lift up the name of Jesus. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, you're our champion. Jesus, you're the lover of our soul. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. How wonderful the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Right, before I introduce, um, whoa, Emma, I'd just like to say I've got my Glasgow shirt on today. Um, all right. <laughs> and my Glasgow jeans. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, this is my outfit I bought. So <laughs> I think this idea came, crystallized in February, wasn't it, when I kind of came up in, uh, in to, see, to see these good folk um, in, uh, in February. Um, but I came up without a shirt to speak at your church in, in the morning. So I, I bought, I had to buy one. So there you go, this is my Glasgow shirt. So I always, you don't have to say you like it, all right? So I'm, I'm secure enough. Oh, it's okay, I'm secure enough, you know. So um, my name's Mark Birch Machin. I'm privileged to be part of the As One team. Um, there are uh, eight apostolic leaders of As One. There's some here at, in here. There's Paul Fennick, amazing guy. Annie Barr, amazing lady. Um, David Vickers, who actually was there, but he seems to have transported himself over there. All right, you have to show me how you do that, actually. Um, <laughs> this, <laughs> Alan Dickinson, who will be coming later. John Amiobi, uh, Kangar, and Pastor Banjo. I don't know if Banjo's here this morning. Um, sorry? Oh, Banjo's away. Okay. So anyway, we're very privileged to host um, this event. Uh, we really are. And um, it's so, this is so good. So um, anyway, with any more ado, can I um, just, can we just give a re the Emma and a team? So let me just introduce the team right there. Emma, Sarah Jane, Sam, can you just stand up and we'll just welcome you. All righty, turn around, turn around. Yeah, come on. And, and we're in for a treat. I don't know. Does Emma, is Emma using the mic? Is Emma using handheld mic? Is that right? Yeah, we are. Okay. So um, anyway, here we go. Emma is an amazing lady. You will, you will just, you'll, you'll think, oh my goodness, am I pleased I sowed my time into this day. All right. Because we know what, we, people who've heard Emma before and the team know they're in for a treat. For those that haven't, you made a great decision. Well done. Well done. Here we are. No, no pressure. <laughs> I, where, where do you want to okay. Well, family, it's just an absolute joy to be with you. I love. Mark and Juliet, and I think this is uh, my fifth visit uh, to your city, and it's just a real privilege and a joy for me to be here. For those who are canny and smart, you will spot that although we come from Glasgow Prophetic Centre, this is not a Glasgow accent. Uh, this is uh, an accent from God's homeland, uh, where he <laughs> has his throne. That's Northern Ireland. And... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and those of you who've heard 
God speak audibly, will know he speaks in an Ulster accent. So, um, it's true. Uh, it's not true. Uh, so, uh, I married uh, a Scotsman about 19 years ago, and uh, we started Glasgow Prophetic Centre in a church, and we run Healing Rooms Scotland in Ireland as well. So, let me just introduce the team. Uh, Sarah Jane, do you want to come and join me? Because we're going to do some prophetic call-outs, and Sam. The, uh, both of these guys are prophets, the office of prophet, heavyweight, spiritual dudes who keep me right and sharpen me, and they're just a joy to work with. Uh, both full-time in ministry with David and I. Sarah Jane is our lead seer, so she sees in the spirit realm like nobody I have ever met. So if you want to see angels uh, and have the scales fall off your eyes like Gehazi did with the prophet, get, make sure she lays hands on you. Anybody want to see more in the spirit realm? Oh, you're going to have a busy day. So, okay, <laughs> that's that's uh, Sarah Jane. Release. Corporate, corporate anointing. Release. Yes, yeah. Yes, so uh, Sarah Jane also runs up our uh, prophetic ministry into business, and that's how we met people like Amy, and she travels all over the world with businessmen and women, uh, making sure that their uh, businesses are as godly and as kingdom uh, orientated in their decisions as possible. Sam uh, does lots of web media stuff, trains up our young leaders, preaches, you'll hear him preach later on today, and is a real uh, gift uh, to uh, David and I. He's like a, a, a son. I have three children, but he's like the fourth uh, the, uh, child. That sounds very rude, doesn't it? You're like you're mature, mature child. Okay. <laughs> the eldest. <laughs> Good stuff. Good stuff. Could you stand for me before we... We're going to do some prophetic call-out, and then I'm going to minister and, and teach. During worship, I just heard the Spirit of the Lord say this over you corporately, that the enemy had come, and he had pulled the handbrake, and that you were driving spiritually with the brake on. And that there was a sense of a speed that you had wanted to go at and places you had wanted to arrive at and things you thought you should be already doing. But there was like a corporate assignment to pull, uh, uh, to pull you back and to slow you down. So I just want to minister to that corporately before we go any further because we don't want to, to go slow in the slow lane today. You know, and I actually feel like there was a momentum uh, in this region for prayer and intercession and actually even that has cause problems. And there has been suspicion, brother against sister and sister against brother, that was not here the last time we came. And the Lord is going to give you back a momentum, and he's going to give you back a unity in this city. Because the Lord says to you, Newcastle, did I not tell you that you were Bethlehem? Did I not say that you were a city of announcements? Did I not say that you were a city that would speak, and you would set the tone for how other people are to behave? Did I not call you a standard city, that people would replicate what comes here? And so the the Lord says, that is why some of the attack has been most intense here, brother against sister and sister against brother, and your spiritual slowness. And the Lord says, this day I will crack that thing off this city, says the Spirit of the Lord. So... Father, in your mighty and strong name, I speak to the spiritual handbrakes that have been inadvertently, I don't think you did this deliberately, inadvertently put on in these dear ones' lives, and I pull them off right now in the mighty name of Jesus. And I release back to you your spiritual momentum. I release back your spiritual ability to get to some places. I release the ability to run the race, like Paul speaks about in Corinthians, to run the race and to have 
have times where you land and arrive rather than always being in an unfortunate process. In the mighty name of Jesus. I actually would really love, in a moment, I'm just going to get you to hug each other. Father, I just speak unity back over the body of believers in this city. I don't know what on earth went on here, but I speak unity back over the body of believers in Newcastle. And we allow a family anointing to come back into the church in this region in the mighty name of Jesus. So can you just turn to somebody and hug them? And I don't mean just like that patronizing pat. I mean really really get hold of them. And we just speak a family anointing. We speak a family anointing. We speak a family anointing. I speak a family anointing in the mighty name of Jesus. Family anointing, yeah, yeah, man. I think these three have really got it. <laughs> okay. So let's just pray some prayers together, my family, if we can. If you're able to repeat after me, Jesus, I want to see you and only you. If we can just close our eyes and focus on that, and we'll do it again. Jesus, I want to see you and only you. Jesus, I want to see you and only you. Jesus, I want to see you and only you. Only you, only you, only you. Only you. No other pretenders to the throne. No other distractions. Not even my pain. Not even my past. I want to see only you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a seat. So we're just going to prophesy a bit first. Is there anyone else who feels like they have that, that uh, watchman anointing? Do you just want to stand up? We just want to bless those of you who are called in this region. Because one of the things as we drove in yesterday, God was saying, the watchmen need to arise. The gatekeepers and the watchmen need to arise. So those who feel called to pray for Newcastle and the region that you're in, just want to put your hands out. So, Father, what we carry of that watchman anointing, we uh, say, let it catch with these ones, spirits right now. And we say, be seen and arise, watchmen. Arise and be seen. Watchmen, for the glory of the Lord rises upon you. The glory of the Lord arises upon you, watchmen. So see what the Lord would have you see. 
pray what the Lord would have you pray and stand and stand and stand. And for those of you that have felt like nobody understands me, nobody gets me, I'm praying away and there's no connectivity here. The Lord says, look around you daughters and sons, look around you daughters and sons and see who I've called in your region to pray together. And there is a time coming for 24-7 prayer in this region and leaders, you need to start organizing leaders, you need to start organizing 24-7 prayer on a regular basis for this region is a strategic region for the nation and the Lord says this is a PowerPoint region and there needs to be that watchman gathering of prayer and the Lord says do not despise the day of small things some of you have been feeling like I've been praying for years some of you've been praying for decades and not seen breakthrough bless you guys yeah, there is an anointing that, that John 17 as one anointing, which is what this group is called. The as one anointing is powerful. And let me tell you, the enemy cannot stand against the as one anointing. So the Lord says, do not hide away, watchmen, Sandra, do not hide away in your secret places always, but come and be seen, be seen. So we take off that cover that has hidden you and we say, be seen in the region, be seen, be seen in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you, guys. I had a dream recently where I was fighting a weak teenage zombie. And uh, their only weapon against me was some sort of plastic knife. And I'm like, oh, this is, this is a sort of battle I like. This is a really straightforward fight. It's almost too easy to keep him at arm's length. And suddenly, an angel swooped into the dream, grabbed me, and took me up high to a battle planning strategy room in the top of a high tower. And from the top of the high tower, we could see the rise of a black density of a new level of enemy round about us. And the enemy looked to me like a tightly packed group of high-rise buildings and the angel looked at me and the angel said to me what's the plan Emma for defeating this foe well I looked at the angel and thought well I was hoping you guys would kind of know that and suddenly there was a myriad of angels all pressing in waiting for me to answer how we were to battle and win against a new level of enemy and after a long pause where I had no idea what to say, one said, Emma, it is time that the church gets a new warfare plan and comes into a new day of strategy. And although the dream was to me, it is an application to us all that actually you have come to a new level and you are going to need a new plan. And you need to think again about what is in your hand and how things are to be done. And it's okay, actually, for you not to do things the way they were done yesterday. It's okay. It's okay to lay down yesterday's expectations. It's okay to lay down yesterday's dream, Mark. It's okay to change structures. It's okay to change teams. It's okay even to change your personnel. It's okay to change everything radically in this time. Could you 
And the enemy was shown to me as buildings because he wants us to think that he is part of the structure and therefore what we are facing is beyond our control and beyond our impact. And the Spirit of the Lord is saying that he wants to release to this generation a Jeremiah capability where Jeremiah not just built up and blessed things, but he knew how to tear down and destroy things. And this is a time for that anointing. And Lance Wall and I would call this anointing killer sheep. It is time to be a killer sheep. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are a killer sheep. It is time to break with some familiar habits this morning. And some of those habits are where you have been too nice rather than shrewd. And there is a sense that we are in the days with those scriptures that say, be as innocent as doves, but as shrewd as snakes. And I would have put money on the fact that not many of you wake up and say, God, give me the shrewdness of a serpent today. And yet that's a biblical scriptural prayer. This is the day where you have to break the habits of wait and see when actually you need to be first out of the boat. This is a time for getting your feet wet. There are wrong habits of, do you know what? I'm just going to look before I leap when actually you need to leap before you look. There are Habits that need broken that were yesterday's solutions. And we know what it's like in the church because yesterday's solutions often become today's habits, which then become tomorrow's religion. And the Spirit of the Lord took me to 1 Corinthians 16, verse 9, and it says this, you will know it well, a great door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many who oppose me. A great door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many who oppose me. And I want to put it to you this morning that we are standing at a threshold We have come through a door and you are about to enter your most remarkably effective days. You are about to enter the days of your high call, but the swell of opposition round about you has you stuck and has you not advancing. And the word for great in that scripture, in the original text, uh, it's Greek, is the word megas. So, of course, you get the word mega from that. And that means a mega door, an abundant door, an important door. And actually, it means surprising great things door. This is not just an average door that you have come to. It's a surprising great door, according to the original text. And the word effective, an effective door, a great door for effective work, is the word energies. No no guessing what we get from that. And it means active, effective, full of energy, producing desired results. So if I was to transliterate that scripture, you could probably say, I have brought you church into an important and surprising place where there will be great energy for great things and you will see the results that you have desired. That's that scripture. 
You have come to an effectual door and now you need a new strategy for victory. You just came up some levels. You're looking at me like, did I? Did I? And it is a different battle time. So let me ask this question. How do you know if you're one who's standing at an effectual door? How do you know if it applies to you? You'll know by your level of opposition. Because at an effectual door, there is much opposition. It will feel as though a siege has been laid against you. That's how you measure effectual doors. And a siege is a military operation in which the enemy forces surround you and they start to cut off your essential supplies with the aim of compelling you to complete the surrender. And a siege wants to make you feel isolated. It wants to make you feel financially alone and desperately financially challenged and pinched. A siege wants you to feel like you have no friends. A siege is a prolonged or a sustained period of trouble or annoyance, even low grade, that will just wear you out and wear you down. A siege prevents your communication from being effective. And a siege prevents your free movement even physically on your body where you start to feel enclosed. Now, anybody think, I think I've been in a siege. Okay, that means you're at an effectual door. So that scripture just applies to you. Now, Micah 5 verse 1 speaks into this. And it says, it's marshal your troops now, city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. In other words, soldiers, it is a time to rise up. You who were made for war to deal with what makes you ineffective. Do not wait this one out. It is a time to deal with what stands against you. It is not a time in the church to just see how it goes. Now, I know the Beatitudes says, blessed are the peacemakers. And I love that scripture. And I would say that that is the model of my dad. Blessed are the peacemakers. He's a real shepherd teacher. He's a theologian, senior theologian in the land. Blessed are the peacemakers, but there are other times in Scripture for other medicines. And I want to say to you that angels are waiting to be deployed to enact the answers to your prayers. And I have to say to you that the archangel Michael, who we know in scripture is the lead warfare angel, has squadrons and battalions of warfaring angels who are sitting currently quite bored, twiddling their thumbs, doing absolutely nothing because nobody is praying a breakthrough or a warfare prayer even in their own lives. And there are communication angels. You know that Gabriel, he's in charge of all of those. He's always the one turning up with something to say. I bet he has some fantastic chat about him. Because actually we've been silent. And the communication angels are fairly bored too. And I do believe that this is a time for a new level of radical people to rise up in radical faith, to step beyond the dominant assignment against us individually and against us corporately.
I believe that we live in a time where God is calling us up beyond the enemy at the door into our greatest days of influence. These are critical times. These are defining times in the earth. The world's systems are in upheaval. I'll talk much more detail about the political stuff later on tonight, as prophets should do. But it is in times of such upheaval that we are given extraordinary opportunities to take new frontiers for the king. So how on earth did you get to an effectual door? You've measured that you're at one. You passed some tests. You've already been through a load of trials. You've already been through the wilderness. And you already know what it is to come out leaning on the arms of your beloved. You've already decided in your heart that no matter what happens, you will trust in the word of God beyond your trust in the world's resources. Have you not already agreed that? You have passed the greed test proving that God, not money, is your source. You have passed the identity test and do not let the enemy tell you any differently because you are more firmly established in Christ than you were even 12 months ago. Is that not true? You have actually passed a number of waiting tests because actually you had to settle who you were in Christ. You had to settle your identity because God did not let some things turn up in your life because he did not want your identity to be replaced by a sense of your purpose. So he waited until you got hold of your identity. Which is why we've had so many years of the Father heart truth pervading us, rightly so, so we could understand identity. Not so we could lie on the floor and soak forevermore, but that we could rise up into purpose. Prophets are fairly blunt. I'm, do you know, just let me give you, I should have explained this at the beginning. If you got somebody like my dad, who's a lovely shepherd, teacher, theologian, you'd all go out feeling really loved because that's his grace. He's super duper at doing that. He makes everybody in our church feel loved. My anointing's a bit different. So <laughs> if you had an evangelist with you, you would all give your lives to Jesus again. Because that's the dominant grace, isn't it? But you have apostolic prophets with you today, and, and they're Irish at the same And we're just, the Irish are blunt and the prophets are blunt. So, you know, just give me grace, all right? Your purpose is bigger than you think it is. That's why you had to be held in waiting. But when you pass those tests, you suddenly get pulled up to a new effectual door and you get given great authority and you begin to operate in a supernatural realm of authority because you have moved beyond worldly wisdom and you have moved beyond relying on yourself and you have moved beyond even some of the enemy's basic tactics to distract you and destroy you. And so you are at this effectual door because you have done up to this point a really good job. 
This siege, this opposition is actually your first sign of success. Not because you failed. Some of you just need to go, oh, I needed to hear that. But now something more is required of you because you are at a higher effectual place. I was sitting in my office last week, maybe the week before now, and this angel walked into the room and he said to me, Emma, here's your new battery pack. I'm like, oh, battery pack? I didn't know I had an old one, to be fair. And he pointed to this old one on the floor, and it looked really black and burnt and fried. And it was smoking like I'd just blown it up. And this pack on the floor spoke loudly that what had been walked through had taken every ounce of my energy, every reserve I had, every prayer that I knew how to pray, and every push-through moment that I'd had to engage in. And it had blown up. And battery packs, though I'm not a scientist, are to do with capacity and power and potential. And the Lord started to speak to me, and he says, you feel, Emma, like your potential has not been realized, your power in my name was not fully manifest, and your capacity got maxed out. But now you're at an effectual door, and on the floor is how it used to be in the previous season. And God turned up with a new battery pack. And this one said, ever ready on the side. (laughs) And he put it on my back. And he says, I'm making you ever ready for this new place. And suddenly the room was filled with angels. And let me tell you this. Each angel was holding a battery pack for the saints of God in the nation. And I actually went and opened my office door in the home. And the corridor, my hallway was filled with angels. And I looked out my front door and they were crammed all in my street. And the Spirit of the Lord says, I have a new battery pack for all of you so that you can now reach your potential your power in my name will be manifest and this is the time where your capacity will not be maxed out and the Lord says I am giving you the ability to reach potential some of you just need to grab hold of that and some of you are maxed out in capacity. I'll deal with this a little bit in a moment. Some of you are maxed out in capacity because actually you are busy doing what was effective at yesterday's effectual door. And that's why I said it's okay to lay some things down. Higher place, new things to do. Okay. So let me give you some top tips now that we're in agreement that you're at an effectual door and that you have been highly successful up to this point. Turn to your neighbor and say, you've done a really good job to get here. (laughs) I think my top tip number one, if you're taking notes is it's time to see the bigger picture. There is always a tension between what is happening to you in an immediate moment and what is ultimate. 
And the immediate situation is formed by your current circumstances, your short-term uh, prospects. And sometimes your immediate moment can be absolutely horrific. Death of a loved one. Horrific job losses. A combination of dreadful disasters. But however bad the immediate position you find yourself in, however much the level of stress is on you at any one time, the ultimate is always a hope-filled situation. And true Christians, radical Christians, have set their eyes on the prize. And the sign of being Christ-like is that you have both eyes up to see where you are going. And it's exactly what your Savior did in Hebrews 12 verse 2. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God the Father. And in the midst of your opposition, and in the midst of your immediate crisis, there needs to be a greater connection with the joy that the Lord speaks about that is possible on the journey. And joy should be the default setting of anybody who is a spirit-filled, saved believer. And joy comes wherever you are because you are seeing the ultimate. And depression comes when you start to get your eyes down to see the immediate. And there is a real problem. I mean, I used to sell antidepressants. I made a lot of money selling legal, legal pharmaceuticals. It wasn't just... I worked in pharmaceuticals for years. Uh, we, made, we made a lot selling antidepressants. We sold more antidepressants than Mars did Mars bars in the area that I worked in. But I tell you what, there is a medicine that is not SSRI antidepressants, but actually is the ability to grab hold of your eyes, to start to see the ultimate that will actually medicate you more effectively about what is immediate. Not, not that I'm knocking pharmaceuticals. And the Lord is saying, look again at your dreams. Look again at the ultimate. Look at the prize. Look up and start to see the bigger picture. And you know, it makes me laugh how Jesus scoops up dirt in his hand. And he blows into it. And suddenly there is life. And he stops seeing the dirt that we are made from. And he only sees the life. You cannot take your territory unless you can see it redeemed. There's a whole sermon just in that one phrase. You cannot see your territory. You cannot take your territory unless you can see it redeemed. What does it look like when your whole workplace gets saved? What does it look like when you have household salvation? What does it look like when your business expands to have more godly impact and starts to employ people and takes them out of poverty and into the workplace? What does it look like when your friends find Jesus? Start to picture that. See that. Imagine that. Go there. And what does the Word of God say? And I will do immeasurably more than you can even dare to ask or imagine. And the big dream has got to come back into focus. It is time to remember the call of God on your life. What is it about us as Christians that we falsely mature? 
We falsely mature and we settle for second best. And this scripture happens to us in Lamentations 1 verse 9. It's talking about the city of Jerusalem. She did not consider her future. She, Jerusalem, did not consider her future. Therefore, she has fallen astonishingly. She took no thought of her future. Therefore, her fall is terrible. I think that is an alarming verse that Jerusalem had not grasped her ultimate before God, and it became her downfall. It wasn't her sin that stopped her. It wasn't her lack of education that stopped her. It wasn't even her past that undid her or where she was put geographically in the world. It was her lack of thought for where she was going that brought her down. the dream alive. Go back and keep the dream alive. Can you just stand up for me? Father, we just release in your mighty name a resurrection of vision into the hearts and minds of these dear ones here. I bless your eyes to see again, to see your call, to remember your call, and to start to strategize for your call. Many of you have put a lot of time and energy and money into some things that you were not called to do because you find yourself in that place. So I breathe in the name of Jesus, and I loose that breath over you to resurrect your dreams. Some of you are going to have to lay hands on your own heart right now. My family work with me and say, I call my dreams to life. 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 I call my dreams to life in the mighty name of Jesus. Hey, um, uh, and God, some of you will have to say, God, I can't even remember what the dream was. It was so long. Bring it back to my memory. Some of you are just hoping that the enemy would go away. You just want to be left alone. And the Lord says to you, the way that he is going to back off is if you start to resist him with walking into your dreams and holding them again. And I speak into the atmosphere against the gender bias against women in this place. And I start to call the women up into their rightful God-given leadership roles. And do you remember that scripture that says the Lord gave the word? Great was the company of the preachers. One of the Psalms, forgive me, I can't remember the exact Psalm. The one one ninety saying, the Lord gave the word, great was the company of the preachers. Do you know that is actually a feminized verse, but that our Bible translators took it out and it says, the Lord gave the word, great was the female company of the preachers, is actually that verse. So I loose back over the women in this place their voice right now in the mighty name of Jesus. I loose over the women their leadership mantles right now in the mighty name of Jesus.
I release girls, you're signed, and I make a space for you to come up into leadership places right now in the mighty name of Jesus. And I speak over you from Deuteronomy that you are not the tail, but you are the head, as the Word of God clearly states for us as his sons and daughters. It's Psalm 68, verse 11. Give me a moment. Father, we know you love the church, but we know you don't like sometimes her structures. So, Father, we make a space for you in Newcastle to do a change of personnel in churches right now who would cap the people of God. I hear the Spirit of the Lord really on this. You're going to watch a real turnaround of leadership in the body of Christ in this region. Do you know that breaks my heart because it means that somebody stood in the way. So, Father, we just speak a grace to the body of Christ in this region. Father, a grace to move and shift. And the Lord is saying to some of the leaders, I told you once, I told you twice, I told you a third time in a nightmare. Just do you remember Job says that? I told you once, I told you twice, I told you in a straight scriptural quote I've just given you there. The Lord says, I told you once, I told you twice, I told you in a nightmare. And the Spirit of the Lord says, now I will move you out of the way because you have capped the women in the city. So, Father, I ask that you would give us the dreams back. Resurrect the dream. Can you just wave at me if you're not sure what your dream is? My goodness me. Can you just lay your hands in your head if your, your hands are in the air, family? If you have a dream... Lay hands on, on those, because be, be the ministry team. Help me out. Help me out. If they've got their hands in their head and they can't remember a dream or they don't have a dream, get your hands on them. We just impart dreams. There's a whole row there. Uh, you may have to climb on some chairs. We just impart dreams. We impart dreams back in the mighty name of Jesus. Take off you the spirit of oppression that has kept you down right now in the mighty name of Jesus. And I loose dreams back into you. Hey, man, I keep praying for them. Keep saying, I lose dreams. Just listen, impartation. Hey, man, hey, I lose dreams. I speak to that spirit of subjugation in the mighty name of Jesus, and I pull you.
So we just loose resurrection life right now in the mighty name of Jesus. We loose resurrection life right now in the mighty name of Jesus. We loose resurrection life right now in the mighty name of Jesus. Dreams awake. Dreams awake. Amen. Amen. Okay, have a seat and I'm going to give you some homework. Now you've got to know that we, we just, I'm surprised, I'm surprised. I don't, prophet, prophets deal a lot with visions and dreams. Not that I've particularly preached this sermon much. But we deal a lot with visions and dreams. I have never, ever, I mean we hit 14 countries last year, multiple churches, multiple men's conferences. I have never stood in a place in all the years of ministry where as many people didn't know what their call was. Never. So you know that you're dealing with real spirits of oppression and, uh, and subjugation in this place. So I'm going to give you some homework. I think you need to take some time with a pen and paper and you need to sit down before God and say, what's the dream? And start to work as an architect with God and start to architect hope again in your own life. God, what is my call? What, not, not what am I good at. God, what is my call in you? What is the dream? Because actually you know that if half of the church in this region don't know what their call is, you are going to be an impotent body of Christ. So if you think your culture is too secular and too atheist and too this, that, and the other, yes, you're right, it probably is, but it will be because you lost your way and you lost that rabid determination to go after a dream because you didn't know where you were aiming. And actually that scripture that Paul says, I do not run aimlessly, I do not punch as a man beating the air. So I'm going to give you that homework, and maybe as you meet together again, um, one of your leaders can teach on, on uh, stewarding uh, dreams and call. This is a good day. It's a good day. Pro prophets come and you have to go, whew, I didn't know that was there. And the next time we come, if you ever have us back, you'll all put your hands up and I'll go, yay! Here's a church on the move. Okay, so top tip number two. And we're in this story of Gideon and Judges 6 for this. And top tip number two for effectual doors is review where you are. And do you remember the angel of the Lord drops into the story of Gideon and starts to call him into his senior leadership right place role. And God steps in at the point of greatest opposition when the Midianites are in full force. Now, Midianites means the stealer of fruit. So there was a time where the people of God were at their most fruitless because the enemy had had the upper hand. And who knows what it's like to have fruitfulness stolen? Yes, I think we all do. And Gideon and God are about to get together and they're about to work out one of the greatest strategies that we ever read about in Scripture to right the enemy. And where do you find Gideon? In the wine press. And what is he doing in the wine press? He's not making wine in the wine press. He's threshing wheat in the wine press. Who knows that's not what you do in a wine press? 
And we know that the grapes, because they are heavy, are rolled down to the bottom of the hill. They're rolled, and then the wheat is taken up to where it's windy to separate the chaff from it. And he is doing the right thing, but he is doing it in the wrong place. He is working hard but not where he's supposed to be. And some of you are going to have to do some radical shifting to be with the right people, to be able to do the right thing at the right time. And can I say, do not let the fact that you are really hardworking and even maxed out in work delude you into thinking that hard work equals doing the right thing. Remember, you are at an effectual door, and that means change. And most of us go, yay, yay, yippee, 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 change. But actually, that is an incredibly uncomfortable place to be. And I have lost kind of the number of people over the years. I've prophesied things to like, um, oh, new jobs, new locations, new anointings. And I find them in the same place with greater pain and greater frustration years down the line. And the attitude they come with is, you didn't actually expect me to do anything different, did you? See, let me ask you this. When did you go to the supermarket and buy different butter? When did you do that? It were such creatures of habit. When did you last go into your church and sit in a different seat from the place you normally sit in? <laughs> oh, you see, we, don't, we just don't do it. And actually, I think it's very easy to be massaged in the moment by a thought of change, but at the same time internally be fully resistant in your heart to partnering with it. And I actually feel like a prayer has got to come from us. Oh, God, make, make me yield to the process of change. Make, let me be one who surrenders to where you want to take me so that I'm not fighting that change that needs to come into my life. And some of you are just going to have to sit where you are right now and just gently unfurl your hands, just even on your lap, to say, God, I am going to let some things go. I am going to let some things go. I'm going to let some people go. I'm going to let some contracts go. I'm going to let some work situations go. I'm going to let some pain go. I'm going to let my past go. I'm going to let my friends, some of them go, and even that that, uh, stuck job situation, because actually you're not going to be able to grasp the new if you don't let go of what is already in your hand. And it is only our God who doesn't change. And when you look at the doctrine of the immutability of Jesus or God himself, that sense of the unchanging nature of God, you go straight into scriptures like Jeremiah 31. I have loved you with an everlasting love. And there is this sense that we are going to have to tie ourselves to that unchanging truth that his love will not ever be moved off away from my life. And I, I bind myself to his everlasting love and I allow him to shift me where I need to shift. Who actually thinks they're in the wrong job? Can you just jump to your feet if you think, I think I'm coming to that point where I'm in the wrong job. No, 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 there's loads of you. Don't worry, it's not just you at all. I will count, when I hear what the Lord says, I will count the numbers and see if they match up and then we'll just wait or I'll just point you out if you're in the wrong job. One, two, three, four, six, 
At least three more. Who's in the wrong job? You are, you're definitely in the wrong job. I mean, come on. <laughs> that doesn't even take a profit to tell you that. Okay. <laughs> Two more. Yep, there you go. And there you go. Marvelous. Okay. Just lay your hands on them if you're round about them. We release a grace to shift right now in the mighty name of Jesus. We loose a grace to shift into the right employment in Jesus' mighty name. Father, I ask now that you would give a revelation to these dear ones of where they need to apply and what they need to do. Where is the... Hey, Have a seat. Loads of new jo uh, jobs are going to celebrate soon. Okay, so third top tip. First top tip was... Was only Sam listening. First top tip was... See the bigger picture. Second top tip was... Review where you are. Third top tip is ask for encounters. Some of you, it's been a very long time since you had an encounter with God. And actually, you have done so well to walk forward with the memory that you had when you met him in the past. But there, and actually, you've had to have a real force of your own personality sometimes to keep turning up in church. And God knows that Gideon needs an encounter with an angelic being. Actually, it's, it's, a, uh, it's a theophany. It's Jesus himself who comes down in the form of that angel. And God knows that Gideon needs to meet Jesus and have an encounter to actually win the battle that is ahead. And God knows that some of you right now, more than anything, need a fresh encounter. And sometimes we have to come to a very honest place as believers and say, do you know what? I'm really cracked and dry. I'm really deeply wearied spiritually on the inside. And actually, I've kept going with my human effort, but it is so unsatisfying. And right now, we have to just raise our hands and say, I need a touch from the King to get me where I am going. And for Gideon, the angel of the Lord turns up and he has this remarkable encounter. And you know what he says? He says, you know, I'm the least of the least of, of half of the least. I'm a runt of a runt of half a runt. I'm the least of my family. My, I'm, uh, my family is the least of the tribe and the tribe isn't even a proper tribe, to be quite honest. And God turns up to somebody who is so bog standard ordinary and says, I'm going to release the most remarkable encounter and strategy over your life. And God does not want you to advance or go another day without meeting him afresh. And it is time to ask for encounters again. It's time to seek them out. But let me just do some cleanup work here. We were driving in the car yesterday afternoon, and so we've driven down here many times. Sometimes I've gone, oh, wow, this city feels so prayed, and it's not just the sweetest thing. Yesterday, I'm thinking, man, there's a lot of resistance in the spirit realm to come into the atmosphere of Newcastle. What is going on? And it was a strong man of deception. 
And we really warred in the car to even come into your atmosphere. And I felt like the Lord was saying to me that there has been a particular battle for encounter. That some of you have had encounters and you just knew it was not God. It was really hard. Uh, actually, So you walked away from them because actually the content of them you knew was false. You weren't sure whether it was God or it wasn't God or whether it was just your own imagination. I actually believe some of you have had some very traumatic dreams. And again, you've shut down any sense of encountering your God. And to me, some of the water looks a little bit muddied. Now, we used to, let me tell you a story. We used to do an awful lot of work in, in uh, witchcraft and psychic fairs over many years. And uh, uh, we uh, would set up a stall uh, and the warlocks and the tarot card readers and the Reiki practitioners and the aura photographers would all be there. And we learned very quickly that if we said that we were um, spiritual people who did spiritual readings, we absolutely muddied the water. And they could not make a withdrawal on the truth that was in us. And we had to turn up and say, we are Christian, we are prophets, and what you will have from us is not a spiritual reading, but it's actually a, a, a Jesus of Nazareth-inspired prophetic word. And we had to differentiate who we were so that they could make a withdrawal from us. Can I tell you, when we stopped saying spiritual reading and we said prophetic word, we would have people come and just lie on the floor and curl up in fetal positions because they, could, they suddenly felt safe. It was like we had made it clear what side we were on. And it was suddenly like a revelation came that there even were sides. People really want truth. They really want truth. So the head of the, the Psychic Spiritualist Healers Association for Scotland came to me and he said, I really like your energy. And I said, yes, that's the Holy Spirit. And it's an immediate conversation of truth because that's who I want him to meet. Do you think he could heal my foot? Every spiritual psychic in the room has tried to heal it and it's sore. Of course he will. Because Jesus is the name above every other name. And so before he's even sat down, he is completely radically healed. And, and you know what he then said? He doesn't say, can you share your aura or can you share your energy? He says, can you come to my society and tell all the psychic healers in Scotland about Jesus? That's because he knew it was clear. And people are absolutely desperate for the truth that you have. And you have to be able to model encountering Jesus of Nazareth and speaking prophetic words so that other people can have the same thing. Do you know we had so many New Agers and witchcraft coven members saved. And when I rung the local church, in fact, I rung 10 churches in Glasgow and said, could you take some of these people? Because at that point, we hadn't pastored, uh, planted a church, my husband and I. And uh, do you know what the pastor said? No, 
They were too terrified to disciple them. And these guys were working at high-level spiritual things. And they knew that the church would have them in the back uh, uh, serving teas and coffees for, for years. And yet these people knew how to demonically get people saved and, and healed. And they actually saved into Satanism. You know what I mean? Uh, and they actually wanted to get people saved to Jesus, but the church had no space for authentic encounter. We lost loads of them because the church didn't have a place for them. And so I think something has to come in us where we're saying, Jesus, we're not scared to encounter you. We're not scared to encounter you. And actually, Jesus, we want the pure, true encounter. We want to call it as it is. I, listen, I only want to stand before the man whose eyes burn like fire. We are not petting the demons. We are not playing the enemy at his own game. We are not using his language. We are not deceiving ourselves in the process. Is that straight enough? Let's stand and let's pray about this. I'm just going to get us to repent for that, if that's okay. So if you can repeat after me, family, that'd be great. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I repent for each and every way, knowingly and unknowingly, that I ran away from encountering you. Father, I acknowledge before you, if I don't encounter the true and living God, I'll not be able to survive. Father, I repent for each and every way. I partnered with deception. Father, I want to see you purely. Let me just pray over you. So I speak to those new age spirits that want to pollute your visions and pollute your encounters and pollute your dreams. And I stop them over this body of believers right now in the mighty name of Jesus. And I pull you into encounters with the one true living God. New age, you are not welcome in the church in the mighty name of Jesus. So we shut the all-seeing third eye. Anywhere you have partnered with the new age, we shut it down right now in the mighty name of Jesus. Some of you are going to have to repent, actually, and just say, I'm sorry for every partnership with the new age, if that's your way. Amen.
And in the name of Jesus, I loose encounter. In the name of Jesus, I loose a fresh meeting with Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Father, you're going to have to contend for it and say to God, I need an encounter because I would love to pray that for you. But I actually feel like you need to say it. Jesus, I need to meet with you afresh. Jesus, I need an encounter. Jesus, I need to see your face. Jesus, it's you that I'm hungry for. Jesus, I don't want any longer dry, dull boring uh, liturgy, Father. I don't want just the face of piety without the heart that has met you. And so, Father, I'm just saying, God, I need to meet you afresh. God, I need to meet you afresh. God, I need to meet you afresh in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a seat. How are we doing time? It's okay. Okay, four. Is it possible to open some doors? Or is it very warm in here or is it just me? Is it just me? <laughs> okay. I'm not even that age yet. <laughs> it's the fire. Is it the fire? Will we say that it's the fire? <laughs> I'm only in my early 40s. (laughs) Top tip number four. This is a time to choose who you stand with and to choose friends really wisely. Do you remember the Midianites are back in the story of Gideon? So Gideon's had his encounter, and then he calls the people to arms, and 32,000 come. And actually, that sounds great. Who would love a gathering anointing as a leader like that? But God actually whittles it down, as we know, to 300. Why? Because it takes aligned hearts to win. It does. Remember one puts a thousand to flight and two puts ten thousand to flight in the book of Deuteronomy. Do you remember? Gideon sends away from the battle those who are fear-filled because he knows that fear is a catching emotion. Do you remember? Jesus sends people out from the room who do not have faith when he's working a miracle because he knows that the faithless heart will stop the miraculous. And the Lord is saying it is time to get the right people into the right place in your life, people whose hearts are aligned. And if somebody is in your world and they're like a mood hoover and they're sucking up all the goodness of your life that will drain you and will stop you advancing, it is time to stop that. The Celtic tradition had these concepts they would call soul friends. Many of you have probably read about soul friends. And these were the sorts of friends that were bonded to each other in a very, very deep way. And these are the kind of friends that were able to challenge you and sharpen you when it needed, whose dependency was not on you alone, but on a relationship in God. And Ed Selner, who writes very helpfully about the Christian Celts, says that many of these men and women were profoundly changed by these particular soul friendships. Why? Because they were keenly aware that God is close to those who speak to one another as friends. 
those who speak heart to heart. And we do need to come into a new place of increasing isolation and independence as celebrated things in our world. We need to spend the time to allow godly people to help us assess how we are doing and to sharpen us. And we need each other more than we have realized To be able to say to each other, what on earth is that you are carrying? Is that, is that yours to carry? Is that God's to carry? Is that something Satan has given you? Because we all have blind spots. And Tom Wraith, not a Christian writer, but he writes a book called Vital Friends. And he talks about people that you cannot afford to live without. And he actually says there are eight different types of personality that you need to make your life thrive. How many people think, goodness, I, yeah, I've got eight absolute vital friends. I, I mean, I'm with you on that. My, my hand's not up for eight vital friends. You got eight? You're going to minister to all of us, okay? You've got And actually, it's a real skill to keep the right people close and to repel the wrong people, isn't it? It's very difficult to do that. And the problem with the focus in our culture is, how do I get better at my work? How do I advance? How do I get better educated? How do I want to go where I am going? What course do I need to take? And I would ask you this question, have you ever truly done anything great in isolation? No. But have you ever taken a course in friendship? No. And President Roosevelt, on his deathbed, having navigated the Second World War and bonded with Churchill, is said to have written this, Today we are faced with the preeminent fact that if civilization is to survive, we must cultivate the science of human relationships. During our teenage years, we spend nearly one-third of our time with friends. Now, if you're my 14-year-old daughter, it feels like a lot more than that. How much Skype time can one human being actually achieve in a day? But they reckon as you age, you spend less than 10% with friends. I would say that is generous. But research done at the University of Chicago by Professor Eugene Kennedy actually tells us what we probably already know, that good friendship has a profound effect on your physical health. And having good relationships has proven health benefit, including most measurably the lifting of depression. And you don't need drugs you just need friends. And you stand at this effectual door and it is time to pursue vital friendships, to make space for them and to actually pray them in if you lack them. And the scattering of people in scripture, you remember we talk about like an Ezekiel, I will scatter you to the four winds. And scattering in scripture is very often the sign of a curse. 
And if you feel scattered, it is time to break that curse over your life because gathering in Scripture is the sign of great blessing and thriving biblically happens in community. And I often say to my daughter when she's going into town, now, Jessica, stay with your friends when you're traveling around Glasgow City Center. Why? Because I know, as every good parent does, that it is safer together. Right across the board, not just in Glasgow. We're all in this together. And the Spirit of the Lord just dropped this phrase into my my life um, a, a, a few days ago. And he says, Emma, there is a problem with the dying art of friendship, was what I heard him say. The dying art of friendship. And the anonymity and isolation and mobility and independence is now our norm. And actually, we glorify... We glorify independence as successful child-rearing practices, and we tick the box and think, well done us. And we train children in independence rather than interdependence, and we train our children increasingly to be friendless as they age. And actually, if you go out um, shopping in a city center type environment, you don't expect to be recognized, yet you are surrounded by people. And actually, you're probably quite narked when somebody recognizes you and comes up to you. Is that just me? It irritates you because it's so out of normal, familiar practice that you don't even know how to stop in the street and have a proper conversation with anybody because it's so far out of our normal behavior. We don't even know how to have conversations with people at the end of church. My husband bemoans this. I think it's particularly hard for men. And he says, Emma, I have lost time, lost count of the number of times I have walked around the church pretending to busy myself to pick up my children's coats and stuff because there was no deep connection that I could make with another man in that place. And he says to me, he says, he, I am fed up, bless his heart. He, he hates the platform. He really does. He's very, very gifted uh, in writing uh, and blogging. And an awful lot of the lion bites are written by him and Sam. So you will have received from my husband if you read our daily prophetic words. But I kind of am the, the, the platform type person. And he says to me, I am fed up of people coming up to me and saying, how is Emma and where is Emma? and not hire you. And he would say to me, it's got better in recent times, but he would say to me at the end of a service, um, I'm going to go to the creche um, uh, and the toddler's group because we, well, we have a 14-year-old now and a 10-year-old and a 9-year-old. He says, I'm going to go and get them because um, it'll give me something to do. And I know I'm not just telling his story. It is time to cultivate friendships at our effectual doors because we're not going to advance without it. And gathering and actually building a community and fostering relationships, it does require careful attention. It is actually a sacred human but very demanding task. 
to gather for worship, to gather for prayer, to gather around a grieving family, to share a meal means we have to lay aside our own personal preoccupation with our own homes and our own spaces. Actually, it's not just the dying art of friendship, it's the dying art of hospitality. When did you last folk over for food? As a regular thing. Uh, we were over in, in Northern Ireland last July. In fact, we'd gone over to scatter my mum's ashes. And where we were in... Um, a friend's home who, who I'd grown up with. And uh, we got out her visitor's book. And she and I flicked the pages since, oh, probably the late 70s, she'd kept this visitor's book. And we just went through all the names of everybody who'd come through Frida's house for a meal. And we, we wept together. And we're like, uh, and my name was in there because I'd gone there as a child over and over and over writing a silly childhood comment, you know. And the pages turned and the years went on and we were all there and we were all there and we were all there and we were all there. And then we hit the 2000s and it became more and more sporadic, like we'd lost that art of being even in each other's homes. We are brothers and sisters. We are members of one body. And again and again, God will have brought you to some very personally painful places to bring you to the end of yourself, to inform your spirit again that the power that you need for this season is only found when two or three are gathered. And some of your major failings is because you tried to do it alone and God let you fail even that which you had the skill for because it was done in ungodly isolation. I'll show them. And a prayer has got to come forth. Would you help me love people? I'm praying that myself. Would you help me love people? Would you, and listen to this prayer. I'm praying, God, would you help me stop avoiding people? particularly at the end of church. I know I do that. God, keep me away from the surface connections that actually are deeply unsatisfying. I'm flesh. You're flesh. And flesh needs held And flesh needs somebody else to curl around it in a point of sorrow. And flesh needs somebody to physically jump for joy in victories. David and I have a group of ministers in the central belt in Scotland that we work with. And we actually went away for a retreat and... Um, decided that we were going to be honest. I tell you, that's weird between Christian leaders because it's all, my church is bigger than yours. Uh, we decided, true. Uh, we decided just to be really honest. We do it, don't we? We do it. Um, oh, yes. And uh, 
we were reading Nehemiah, and do you remember it says they each have their own little bit of the wall that they have to build? But then there is a verse that talks about the, they, they blew the trumpet to call others whenever their bit of the wall was under attack. And we came into this agreement together that we would just text or email each other and say the phrase, I'm blowing my trumpet. And we would immediately drop what we were doing and go and be with them. Because it was like we'd so lost that art, we needed a little bit of a phrase to, to help ourselves get there. And it wasn't long before the first of them said, I'm blowing my trumpet. It was the week David and I were moving into our new ministry building. We were punch drunk tired. We had carried boxes for days. The team were worn out as well. But the chap had said, I'm blowing my trumpet. We stopped everything to be there. So maybe you need to figure that out. Let's stand and let me pray through this. You keeping up? Oh, Father, I'm so sorry for where I avoided people. Father, I'm so sorry where I was preoccupied with my own space and my own home and my own independence, Father. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Some of you are going to just have to repeat that in your own hearts. Oh, Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy on us. Lord, have mercy. Father, you can repeat this after me, Father, would you give me a good friend ethic? Would you help me to go after the friendships that I need to? Father, I'm happy to be put out for others. And I'm happy to open my home again to others. I list the ministry of hospitality back over this group of people right now in the mighty name of Jesus. We read in scripture that that's actually a spiritual gift. So I list that over you. This is not middle class wooden salad bowl dinner parties. Where I dress up in my Marks and Spencer's best. Come on. I just lose over hospitality that is authentic and real, that wears its slippers and that hasn't brushed its hair. In the mighty name of Jesus. Somebody just had to grab hold of that. Yeah, I'm having that one. Father, would you bind them together again? Would you bind them together again? Would you bind them together again, Father God? Amen. Have a seat. So I'm on final top tip, and this one is quite quick, and then you can go and get caffeinated and energized. So what are the four top tips for your effectual door that you've had so far? See the bigger picture. Review where you are, ask for encounter, friendships, oh, you're listening, good. Oh, I so want you guys to win. I so want you guys to win. 
I don't want to fight to get into your city again. I want to see a generation of women who've lost their way. I want you to be the vibrant standard of what the church should be. Oh, come on, Newcastle. Don't want it. You want it more than I want it. Don't make me want it more than you do. Don't, don't waste what you fought for and all those good decisions. Don't waste it. Don't waste those years of pain. Don't waste all that ministry you've had. Don't waste it. Don't waste all that truth that seat belted you into the car you're now in. Don't waste it. Don't come to this effectual door of your highest cold days and lose it. Fifth top tip. How does Gideon, we're back in Gideon, how does Gideon end up fighting? It's not hand-to-hand combat, is it? Hallelujah for warfare like that. It is standing on a mountaintop, and he blows the trumpet. He makes a sound, and he smashes the jars, and the light that's hidden in them comes out. Now, I must say, I like that sort of warfare. And God wants to arm you with sound and with light. And your fifth and final top tip is about the level and the nature of your worship. Because there is a noise that will come forth from you that will outwit the enemy. There is a noise where the enemy will start to fight himself. There is a sign to be released that the enemy will take himself out of the battle. And worship is fundamentally key at any effectual door time. Now, I know that when I pray, and you will be able to agree with me, that actually we can send confusion into the camp of the enemy. But who knows that they've prayed sending confusion and the enemy has absolutely regrouped. And come back against you. But when you release a sound, he cannot regroup. Because according to this scripture, he is completely destroyed. And I do not want to take on an enemy that can regroup. And I don't want just to be able to limit that which comes against me. I want to fundamentally take him out. And you are able to do this. And something in us has got to rise to say, I am going to start to make a sign in worship that will cause hell itself to destroy itself. That I walk into any hospital room and I start to sing a worship song and the enemy is so bewildered that he flees from everybody in that place. And I'm standing at an effectual door with you. And I want us to get such a heart for worship again that I can start to move into these high call days. And God is preparing us to wield the sword of worship again. And it cannot be that we only worship in the corporate place like this together. Because worship, as some of it did this morning, will feel really hard work. And it will only display your corporate parlousness as it did this morning, because you have not made it a personal habit behind the scenes. And there is a great difference between a church with a good worship band 
and a congregation who have stewarded such personal worship that when they come together, there is a difference between a band who help you get your toe in and actually a prepared congregation who from the first note are in the deep places of God because worship is already a habit. And in the United Kingdom, I want to run with the people who run with the presence, who will call, who will give themselves so fully to God that they will pour out their heart, they will pour out their emotion and their worship to Him. In the United Kingdom, I want to run with those who don't hold back, who won't hold back, who cannot be held back and will not walk out because they are bored or because they don't like the song, who will give themselves to worship and release such a noise and I want to find in the United Kingdom that there is something in me that will I will choose to focus even though I do not feel like it that I will choose to give myself and my emotions to him in worship that my heart might come into alignment even if I was dead grumpy when I walked through the door I will not let disinterest own me in worship. I will not let my circumstances taking, take me away from worshiping him and choosing in that moment to pour out my devotion. I will not let my gender, men, tell me that I don't have to give myself to God extravagantly in worship. I will not let my education tell me I am above worship. I will not let my age say I'm beyond all of that nonsense. I will not let my occupation brainwash me to say that my life must be lived in a certain way. So I stop telling God that I love him in worship. That my determination to pull, pour myself out before him is not a sign of foolishness that only the flaky, weird people who carry flags do. But I will pour out my, myself as a sign of my wisdom. And this is how we should be, a people with a heart and a people with a voice who love him with every fiber of our beings. And I will not think that maturity is toning down and sitting down and switching off. I will not believe that there is nothing to worship about God today, who the angels state cannot even stay silent for a second in heaven because every day they see a new aspect of the glory of God. I was reading Psalm 8 recently in the house and my youngest Samuel came in. What are you doing, mommy says? And he's munching on a Nutella sandwich and there's crumbs everywhere. I'm reading Sam 8, Samuel. And he sits down with his legs in the basket and he says, read it to me, mommy. I've read that Sam for over 40 years. I remember it being one of the first Sams I ever memorized as a child. Do you remember when we did scripture memorization classes? I know that Sam inside out, upside down, every which way. And this time I read it to Samuel and I couldn't finish it. And I only got to verse 2. You have taught 
children and infants to tell of your strength. In other words, to worship. Silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. Did you know that there is worship that he has put into our children that when they come to their effectual doors, oh, this is not just adult-only effectual doors, it will silence the foe against them, that if our children cannot worship or learn to worship or be taught to worship, the enemy will be stronger in their lives. If we cannot model it, how will they catch it? And there is worship as a weapon at the effectual door that our children stand at. There is worship that deals with the spirit of self-harm in a generation of teenagers. There is worship that deals with gender fluidity issues that the enemy is pushing in their face. There is a worship that can come from a child that will deal with the the suicidal tendencies and the spirits of death and suicide will fall on the sword, on their own sword as the children start to worship. And God is moving our children from one degree of glory to another. And we have got to turn up in worship and show them what it is like to fight with worship. And we have got to bring our worship to God in a new way with a new joyful sound. We need our children to be present in our worship services. We need our families to worship. And we need to start to think about worshiping properly. For some of you, bless your heart, some of you, the enemy has been speaking so loud for so long, you don't even know which is your voice and which is his voice anymore. And the Lord is saying to you that actually your spirit of confusion and your spirit where you're just overwhelmed all of the time by every wind that comes demonically against you, that all that would go if you just raised a sound of worship, that the enemy would be righted and a space would be made for you to advance. Please stand. God, I'm so sorry where I moaned about worship bands, where I thought it was too loud or badly played or bad songs. Oh, come on. It's not just me who does that. <laughs> Father, we're sorry. Oh, Father, we're sorry that in worship space I did everything else but worship. Oh, mercy, God. God, would you make me a worshiper again? God, would you make me a worshiper again? Come on, you tell him. God, I want to be a worshiper again. I want to be a compulsive, rabid worshiper. I want to be a rabid worshiper. Yeah. Come on, you tell him that. <sighs> From the moment I get up in the morning, Lord, that the first thing out my mouth will be a praise in the shower. 
that the last thing I do at night would be a, a, a word of gratitude and a word of worship. Lord, that I would be worshiping in my office toilets, that I would be worshiping in the corridors, that I would be worshiping in the business decision rooms, that I would be worshiping in the classroom, that I would be worshiping wherever I am found, and that with every step, the enemy would fall on its own sword, and that actually my worship would make a way for you to turn up, because what do we know that the Word of God says? That God arises in a shout of praise. God, would you help me lead my children? Help us lead our children in worship. Oh, Lord, would you put worship back into the family dynamics of the people in Newcastle? So, my family, you listened well this morning to a prophet. Bless your hearts. But right now, you're at that door that effectual door. And I want you just to start to take some steps. You're going to have to move out of your places. And your steps are just that prophetic sign. We know prophetic signs are very powerful in Scripture. Do you remember the um, king who doesn't strike the ground more than three times and Elisha's on his deathbed and he only gets a minimal victory? It's just, just prophetic acts. So, Father, we are just starting to walk. We're just starting to step forward because we are making a sign in the Spirit that we do not want to stay where we are, that we want to come through that effectual door, that we don't want just to stay in the place of opposition, but we want to come through the opposition and into our most fruitful place, into the days of our high call, into the moment of our destiny. And we are saying to the enemy, look, you only have access at the effectual door, and we are going going beyond that and we are dealing with that which comes against us and we are going to be a force to be reckoned with because we are not staying where we are any longer and so Lord I put fire on their feet in the mighty name of Jesus I put fire on their feet and I speak over you like Joshua was told that where you put your feet you will have the land where you put your feet you will have the land where you put your feet you will have the land and so we slam the door behind you and we say that season is done, that employment is over. And the Spirit of the Lord says, you are about to remember what manner of people you are. You are about to remember what manner of people you are. Mark, over to you. So, Lord God, we thank you. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for the words of a prophet. And as we welcome those words, we, 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 there's a prophet's reward. Yeah? Yeah? So we thank you for, for, for amazing words of life this morning. We've been challenged. Just be mindful of the conversations that you have at lunchtime. It's because we're, we're in a whole day of, of things. This is, a, this, is, this, is a, this is a whole team effort that's going on here. So actually lunchtime is not switching off and actually thinking about something else. It's actually continuing and letting Jesus continue the work that he's working in you right now. 
So be intentional of the conversations that you have over lunch and, and actually continue the work. So Lord God, we just thank you for that.